Our passage this morning is in Mark chapter 9, verses starting at verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Thank you. Well, good morning. When I was first living here in Boise, Idaho, I graduated from Westmont, came out here. Uh, My wife was originally from uh, Boise, and we moved out here. And I took a marketing job that I worked out for several years, and it was a good-paying job, and I enjoyed it, And but always knew that the Lord was calling me into ministry. And so I decided I was going to go to Dallas Theological, and then some of the brothers here at uh, Cole Community Church said, hey, why don't you stick around and and do our three-year biblical studies program? And so I did. Part of that was they asked me to uh, quit my job and only work 20 hours a week because they wanted me to be dedicated uh, to the Word and to my studies. And so I did that. So I quit my job. And I found a job. Uh, it was a minimum pay job uh, with a company called ServePro. ServePro is a carpet cleaning company and also a disaster cleanup company. And so here I am, a uh, graduated uh, man from Westmont College with a full degree and uh, going into my studies and I had been making a decent living and now I was taking a minimum wage job with ServPro. So here's what happens with ServPro. It's three in the morning. Back in the days when they had pagers, remember those things? And my pager goes off. It's an emergency. And so all we get is the address on the pager and we get, uh, we get going, 3 in the morning. Go load up our trucks. We know there's some disaster somewhere. So we are uh, driving. We got, we got all of our trucks, four of them. They said big disaster. So four of our trucks and all the, the big tubes, uh, all to clean up whatever disaster was happening. And so we, we're reading the, uh, the address, and then we're talking to our boss. And he's all, yeah, it's on Barrister. Barrister, Barrister, that sounds familiar. 
It's, it's uh, where the prison and the police station is. Here's what happened. The sewage line from the prison uh, broke and flooded the police station. Raw sewage. So we showed up with our four trucks, and we opened up the doors of the prison or of the uh, police station. And there literally is, up to my knees, in all of the hallways, raw sewage that had broken and come into the, come into the police station. And so we got the trucks fired up, and we started to clean out this raw sewage uh, of this prison or of the police station. The whole time I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you know what? I graduated from college. I am better than this. And uh, it, was, it was a lousy job. The police officers had put up all over the, the walls, like poop alley, you know, stuff like that. They were having a lot of fun with it. Uh, I wasn't. And the job really, as the Christmas song goes, stink, stank, stunk. It was bad. But the whole time I thought, I'm better than this. And actually the guys who were working with me, uh, doing the cleanup, I felt like I'm better than those guys are. I don't deserve to be here. This is not what my life's all about. I'm going into ministry, darn it. And here I was from 3 in the morning till 11 the next day cleaning out raw sewage and learning what it meant to be a servant and to serve with a heart that cared for others and cared for people in really one of the lousiest situations you could probably put yourself into. And I think that's what the Lord is doing this morning as we look at his disciples and what he wants to teach them. He wants to teach them what it means to to be humble. And I think he wants to teach them all what it means to be a serve pro. How we can enter a life of humble service. And have the heart of Christ as we serve one another. That that would reflect who God is to the world. So let's pray for that this morning. Father, I pray this morning that you will humble our hearts. We truly are arrogant, Father, and we think we're better than, we think we deserve more. And your whole life was about service. Your whole life was about humility. You came to die on the cross for us. You emptied yourself and took on servant. And so, Father, I pray that we will do the same that we will be like you through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Humble servants that reflect the beauty of who you are. In your precious name, amen. Well, you know, this is the second time Jesus has been talking to his disciples about him going to the cross. Sharing that he has a purpose here. We're now heading towards the cross. I need you to understand who I am. I need you to understand what my purpose is, not just to be your rabbi, but to be your savior, to be the promised Messiah, the anointed one, who will go to the cross, he says, I am now going to the cross and I will be betrayed into the hands of men. And here's what they're going to do, gentlemen. They are going to kill me 
And after three days, he will rise. Basically, let him know, I will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him. The disciples had no category for a suffering Christ. They truly didn't get it. They, they had no place in their understanding of anything of the Messiah, that this would be one who would come and suffer and die. How do we grab a hold of that? We expect a reigning king. Death of Christ. And then he spoke of a resurrection. They understood a resurrection like Daniel 12, which speaks of, of all peoples, of the nations, will rise up in the last days of the judgment. But an individual, a personal death and resurrection, they couldn't grasp it. And Jesus takes them aside and wants to continue to teach them what it means. This is who I am, and this is why I came. I came to die, and I will rise again. And Jesus' face is headed towards Jerusalem. The servant who rules. And as he's headed towards Jerusalem, he continues to remind his disciples his purpose. And we see in Mark 10.45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for all. The gospel, the good news of everything about Jesus, the whole Bible, everything that the Bible points towards is Christ. And Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. Christ rose again, victory over sin and death. And the promise and the good news is that any who would believe upon Jesus Christ and that that is true and that He is the Savior and that He has forgiven our sins and they receive Him as Lord and Savior, what's the promise? They shall be saved. They shall have new life. Jesus is preparing His disciples for that. To, to bring forth that good news, that gospel message. They don't get it yet. And some of us in this room still don't get it yet. And so hear the words of the Lord in His love for you, drawing you unto Himself so that you might have life. Humble servant died on the cross for you. He's setting the stage. He's headed towards Jerusalem. His face is set on the cross. Where are the disciples? They're arguing in their midst, aren't they? There was a psychologist named Milton Rokich, and he wrote a book called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. And what he came across is that there was three men that he was working with that had an incredible delusions of grandeur. They really believed they were the Messiah. They believed they were Christ, God in the flesh, and as he continued to work with them, he found that he was making no progress whatsoever. They, they kept saying, you know, bless you, my child, and I forgive you for your challenges against me. He couldn't break them out of the cycle of their ideas that they were Jesus. 
And so these three Christs of Ypsilanti, he decided to take them to a little town where they would all live in community together and try to understand. And he was hoping that they could hear from each other and maybe it would, it would shake them a little bit out of their Messiah complex. And so he would gather them in the room and one of the, one of the men would say, would say this, I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. I am the anointed one of God. And Milton Rokich would say, well, how, how do you know that? And the gentleman would say, because God told me. One of the other gentlemen sitting right next to him says, I never told you that. <laughs> Truly thought he was God in the flesh. I am the Messiah. And then the other one pipes and no, I am the Messiah. Unbelievable. These ideas of grandeur. And yet there broke out an argument in their midst about who was the greatest. Who would be the one at the right hand of God? Who would be the one who would lead into victory? Ideas of grandeur that came from our disciples thinking they were above it all, that they were the ones who would be the greatest. The disciples are trying to figure out who's going to be the one. Who's the chosen one next to Jesus? And they're vying for position in the royal court. Again, here Jesus has been saying, this is what the Son of Man is going to do. This is what it's all about. I am going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm headed towards the cross in Jerusalem. And they're arguing along the way. And you got Jesus is trying to, to, to talk to him about what's going on. The, the way that you would walk, and this is the way you would do it with rabbis, you would never be like side by side with a rabbi. That just wasn't proper. You'd be in this, this long, straight line, basically following Jesus. And so the argument's going down the line, you know? They're talking back and forth, and Jesus is like, and he knows what's going on, but he calls them out on it, right? Jesus is becoming humble servant, knows he's going to pay the price, and these guys are arguing about who's going to be the one. How's this going to work out? He's destined to reign. I don't understand a death. They're thinking status and honor and power, all that comes with being connected with Jesus, and so they're jockeying for a position. And here's what Jesus says to them. They show up in Capernaum. Again, well, that's where Jesus hung out most. That was pretty much his hometown. Peter was there and the guys. And he was in the house. What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they argued about who was the greatest. And so now he teaches them about humble service. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said... If anyone wants to be first, he must be very last. And if you want to be very last, you must be servant of all. Isn't Jesus always going opposite of what we we think we should be doing? Isn't his kingdom totally contrary to our fleshly desires and pursuits? 
if you want to be first, you shall be last. And the way you're last is your servant of all. Going from prince to pauper. He had taught them this before in Mark 8. He said this, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Being first means that we lose ourselves in the gospel and that we serve others. It's a surrender of self. It's a great humility like we've been singing about this morning. Instead of vying for status, instead of seeking to win everything that you're involved with, it's serving and surrender. Listen to Philippians 2. I think this is one of the most beautiful passages about who our Christ is and, and how we're to live like Him and how He calls us to, to enter into a life of humble service. Because that truly reflects who He is. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Did you get that part? Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. I use this passage in weddings a lot. Consider your spouse more valuable. Look not just for your, your own stuff, but look for your spouse and how you can serve them. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of servant. Now a lot of times when we study that Philippians 2 passage, you go, oh, the Lord totally lowered himself, emptied himself, and took on that lowly, lowly position of servant. I think it's a little different perspective and something I want you to understand about God. He emptied himself and became servant. You know why? Because that's the character of God. God's character is one who serves. We always think of God powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, all those things that are awesome. But you know what else? God is servant. You think, oh, we want to go after the, the God who is powerful, who is going to reign and rule and conquer the enemy. But His kingdom is so different from what we think, isn't it? The highest position is servant. Do you get that about God? It's not He took on the lowly form. He took on exactly who He is so that we may understand what we should seek after. He's servant. And He's the servant who rules. Are you ones who are seeking after to become servant? Because in God's economy, because in His kingdom, that is the highest pursuit. Do you want to be first? You should be servant of all. And he calls us to that. Don't consider yourself more important. Consider others. It was a cold November night in Times Square. Officer Lawrence DePrimo 
was working a shift. He was actually on a counterterrorism shift, and he encountered this man who was on the street. White officer, black man. And what happened is this man was walking by him in New York City, and there were others who were making fun of this man. They were actually laughing at him. And he went over and he said, Hey, what's going on? How are you doing? He goes, I'm doing fine, officer. And he noticed on this freezing November night that the man had no socks, no shoes. Officer DePrimo said he was actually wearing two pairs of socks and he was absolutely freezing. And so he went over to the man and he said, Do you have any socks or shoes in your, in your bags there? So said, No. He goes, Actually, I've never owned a pair of shoes. And so the officer ran in. There was a store right there, a Skechers store. And he went in and he said, hey, listen, I need... He actually asked the man his size. He said, I need a size 12 pair of shoes. I need them to be really good. Uh, some form of a boot. Uh, I really need to, to have them high quality. So he went in and the pair of shoes that he bought was, was over 100 bucks. And he got some socks. And he got them for this man that he didn't know. This man that everybody walks by. This man that no one cares about. And if they do even pay attention to him, they laugh at him. This white officer to this black man in New York City, homeless, gets him this pair of shoes and, and socks and goes on his way. What he didn't know, what the officer didn't know, is that there was a woman about 20 feet away, who was watching this whole scene. And so she got her camera out, and she took this picture. The officer had no idea. He was just doing this on his own. He wasn't expecting any sort of picture or notoriety or anything. And so he humbled himself, went in with his own money, got this guy a pair of shoes, And I really point out that it's white and black here because we have so much tension these days, don't we? And it's so foolish how we we just, you know, take a few bad eggs and we we pour that out all on police. We thank God for our policemen, our policewomen. And he served this man and he took care of his needs. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If you want to be first, meaning if you want to be close to Christ, you must be last. It's not about your needs. It's about others. This reflects who God is. He is servant. And if you want to be last, and you ask, how do I get there? You must be servant of all. You know this, but disciples, as they walked into rooms and there were servants in the rooms, It was considered the lowest position. It was of no value. Little significance. And he says, you're to be servant of all. I don't want you to miss that word, of all, because that means everybody. Everyone. You are to have a heart of Christ and serve all. Not just those that you like. Not those that you might benefit from. Not those that you only feel comfortable with. If you want to be first in the kingdom, 
You shall be last. And the way that you become last is by being servant of all, looking at the value of all, and surrendering yourself. And like Officer De Primo, I will serve you because you're valuable before God. And that oftentimes is not comfortable. What about Muslim refugees, dear brothers and sisters? What about that? Boy, there's a lot of tension these days, isn't there? For many of us, that's not very comfortable. And the Lord says, you want to be first? Do you want to know what it looks like to walk with me? Then we're servant of all. We give value to all. Why? Because these are my creation. Because humanity is valuable to me. And I want people to know my love. There's a reason I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross for each and every individual to pay the price for their sins and to give them new life. What about our Muslim refugees? Let's talk about that just for a minute, okay? Because here's the thing, here's the thing that's disturbing to me. Ever since Paris, and we've had all of the Syrian the Syrian refugees and, and what to do with them and, and everything's on the news. But ever since Paris, which really highlighted all of this tension and trying to understand how to, to in, enter in, uh, especially with the Syrian refugees, here's, here's the thing that's been going on. And many of you have been part of it, uh, or at least are aware of it. But if you go onto Facebook or Twitter or anything, we are seeing incredible, incredible debate and argument. And what's, what's unfortunate is, is that the bitter and actually sometimes very mean uh, argument is between brothers and sisters in Christ about what we should do with the Syrian refugees. And there's this attack back and forth that's going on between brothers and sisters in Christ. And I just want to encourage you, if you're part of that, Stop it. Stop battling against your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, it, it causes an incredible uh, disunity in our body. It really does. And you know what? Together we need to go, okay, Father, what do you have for us? Because here's the deal, and I mean this very seriously. There are many of you in this room that feel very strongly we need to just receive and accept and, and bring in with incredible love of Christ uh, the Syrian refugees. We just have to do that. And you know what? That's a beautiful heart uh, towards people who are really hurting. It's a beautiful heart of yours. And I think a, a great conviction of yours. And then there's others who feel like, you know what? I want to show compassion, and at the same time, I want to be wise in how we do this. And I'm not sure if I want to just allow in all these Syrian refugees at this moment. You know, is there a better process to do that? In light of, we live in these very dangerous days. In light of the fact that we know that ISIS is going to take advantage of this, this situation, right? And so there's many of you as followers of Christ who are saying... Uh, I don't know if I want that right now. At least I want to be uh, a little more wise in how we go about it. Who's the better Christian? Who's more Christ-like? 
And what happens is we're starting to judge each other's hearts if we're on one side of the fence or the other. And I just want to caution you to that. I think you both can be incredible followers of Jesus Christ and you're wrestling with this issue. But trust each other's hearts in Christ. Let us not, let us not again, break the unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ. But I will say this. We need to be seeking after the Lord in prayer and saying, Father, show me what you would have of me as we learn to love these Syrian refugees, as we learn to love Muslims in general. Father, show me. Teach me. What do you have of me in this situation? Don't just let it slide by. We are called to have compassion, all of us. How we go about that compassion, I think, is a conviction in your soul from the Lord. And what it looks like in particular with the Syrian refugees, I let you wrestle with that with the Lord. But let's not do damage one to another. They will know we are Christians, how? By our love for one another. And so let us love one another, and then together let's figure out, Father, what do you have for me? Because you served all. You want us to serve all. I know you want us to have compassion. And Father, I want to know how to do that. What do you have for my life? So ask that question. And if you need to ask forgiveness from one another, because maybe on Facebook you've been really jabbing at each other, then ask forgiveness from one another. Respect one another and their conviction before the Lord. Okay? Enough said on that. If you want to be first, you shall be last. If you want to be last, you shall be servant of all. My eyes are getting so bad. Another hour? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Murray. <laughs> I had to take a little extra time on that because I know it's heavy on a lot of our hearts. So Jesus, right in the middle of that, he brings this beautiful child into his mix. You're seeking after all these goals and all this status, and he brings this child in. And he says, look at this child. And, and as they're vying for position, he redirects them to look at this little one who, quite honestly, children had no place. They had no value. They had no weight. They were just meant to be seen, Right? And so Jesus uses a child, a young child, right in their midst. It may have been one of the disciples' children. We don't know for sure. But they're at the house in Capernaum. Probably was. Has them come, sit on Jesus' lap, talks about them. He says, if you want to honor me, look at this. Whoever welcomes one of these little ones, again, one who has no status, whoever invites, whoever cares about, whoever gives value to, if they welcome in my name, they welcome me. That means they have a relationship with me. They invite me to be in their life. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So not only do you, do you honor the child... And as you realize the significance of the child, you honor Christ and you honor the Father. This is what it means to be first in the kingdom of God. That you give incredible value and dignity and service to. 
And what he's saying is, this child is valuable. And what it does in that moment, it just rips away any status the disciples thought they had. You're vying for all this. Uh Uh-uh. There is no status. The status is servant. The status is one who surrenders himself unto me. That's status. The reality is, you're all children of God and beloved to me. That's your status. Well, how can I become greatest? We need to begin, if we haven't already, a lifestyle of humble service. A lifestyle of humble service. Daily asking the Lord, Lord, I don't have strength for this. And saying, Father, help. Show me how to serve. Who do you want me to serve today? Who do you want me to give value today? I always tell you, you know, in the restaurants, right? Boy, you better be asking your waiter or waitress's name. Getting to know them. They are valuable before God. You don't just go, hey, you. Get me a cup of water. Know who they are. They're valuable. How do we begin humble service? You know, we got Thanksgiving coming up this week. What a great opportunity to serve each other in your family. Serve your spouse as they're working hard to prepare the meal. Ask those questions. How can I help? And again, we know that a lot of times there's a lot of family tension as people come together. Saying, Father, help me serve the one who I'm struggling with the most. Because I want to reflect you to this family member. Because, Lord, you came and you died on the cross and you rose again and you took on the form of servant to give us an example. And you served all the way to the cross. And I want people to know your love for them. So help me serve my family member. You know, sometimes God has put you in a high position and maybe given you a lot of wealth. And sometimes you find in your flesh that you're pretty arrogant about that. You feel entitled to some things. And before the Lord, I would just encourage you, if you're a man or woman who's been given a lot of authority and a lot of finance, say, Father, how do you want me to serve with this? Because you do have influence in the world, and now you can have influence in the world for the kingdom of God. How do you want me to serve? How about just random acts of kindness like the officer? Maybe this, this season, just finding someone who's homeless, just one person, and ask God, God, do you want me to do something with that homeless person there? And maybe it's going outside of the comfort zone, like I talked with our Muslim friends. You know what's happening tomorrow night? There's going to be a peace feast here at Cole Community Church. A peace feast. And a bunch of our Muslim neighbors are going to come here and we're just going to celebrate together, life together. Now, for some of you, I know that's a little scary. You're not comfortable. You don't understand how they think or believe or just live life. And we praise God for Nick and Laura Armstrong who really desire to to help us as a body of Christ to understand our Muslim neighbors. Because guess what? We have a lot of them and how to enter in with them. So tomorrow night, here at Cole, maybe one of the ways that we can serve is just by showing up 
And what that might reflect is, you know what? We don't hate you. We care about you and your life. And we just want you to know that we're here with you in this community. And just start there. So you know what? Before the Lord, just ask Him, Lord, would you have me come to this tomorrow night? May I be servant of all, so that your kingdom and you, Father, are glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just uh, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for how you minister to us. And Lord Jesus, I really pray that you will speak to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you convict us? Would you move us? Would you shake us up a little bit in our comfort? Shake us up in our selfish attitudes? And Father, help us to serve, that we would reflect your character and we would reflect you. That people would know that you are the Savior of the world and that you are in love with them and you want relationship with them. So Father, we pray that you do that work in our midst. In your beautiful and precious name, amen.